Good morning. Welcome to Simply Remarkable. We're so glad you're here. And I'm Sue Falcone, CEO and founder of Remarkable. And this show was created by Remarkable Way Speakers Bureau. Why? Because we wanted you to know our talent that we represent and book personally, just like we do. And we wanted you to know too some tips on how to be and live remarkable like we are. And you just might find someone, a talent that you're looking for, for an event, or you can refer them to someone that is. So that's why we're here today. And we want to wish you a very happy new year. The last Friday of the year, Focus Friday it is for us. And this is a special broadcast. It's our 19th of this year. And we're excited. All of our talent is signing up for next year. So we've got lots coming to you for 2023. So you won't want to miss it. Now, I have a special tribute today that I want to announce. Our virtual executive and marketing assistant, Rosie Sutz, is going on to a new chapter. And she will be leaving us after seven years. Now, she's on the back of the broadcast today helping us out. And I just want to share, Rosie, we thank you for all your hard work of making our talent and our company be heard and seen. We're going to miss you, but we wish you the best. And now I want to introduce our special guest. It's Greg Offner. Now, he's the founder and CEO a global performance institute, a researcher, and award-winning keynote speaker as the creator of Tip Jar Culture. Now, you try saying that fast. It's hard. Tip Jar Culture. <laughs> he helps organizations and individuals elevate the employee engagement, and, or as he likes to say, he takes the irk out of work. I love that. We'll remember that today. I can assure you that will be one of the first things that we will remember. And he has an impressive list of clients ranging from Fortune 100 companies to major associations and universities. Another thing about Greg that is exciting is that he is he spent 15 years as an international entertainer performing professionally on five of the seven continents. And I can't wait to help hear how all that works. Can you? Welcome, Greg. We're so glad to have you here today. And you're coming to us from Philadelphia, right? That's right. City of Brotherly Love. Thanks for having me, Sue. It's nice to be here. Well, you're welcome. Is it cold there like we've been going through? It, you know, it's a little chilly. I've been doing this thing. I hear that cold weather, cold exposure is good for our immune system. So I've been taking a walk, a quick walk, you know, outside in the cold. And I got to tell you, it's a little warmer today than it was yesterday. So I'm not mad about it. Yeah, we're good. We're good too. So great. Now to start with today, because we got a lot to cover. And 30 minutes goes by so fast. <laughs> you can't, I mean, it's gone. But number one, I'm sure everyone after that introduction is wondering, how did you go from being an international entertainer to 
hitting the professional speaker stage and do you combine both for your audiences? Yes. Yeah, so, so the answer is yes. I think that if you, if the audience thinks back to their favorite teachers or maybe their favorite educational experience, there's a reason that programs like Schoolhouse Rock, you know, may, 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 re may resonate with some of your listeners. When we combine these different sensory experiences of sound and sight and word, information is retained more easily and longer. So I made the intentional decision to couple my background as a professional entertainer, a dueling piano player with the message that I share from stage so that it's not only entertaining and exciting for the audience because we're living in an entertainment economy in an experience economy right now, but the, the, the actual material stays longer. And I think that anyone who's looking to bring in a speaker or put a message in front of their people, the core goal is to have that information be retained as long as possible and put into practice as quickly as possible. And so music allows us to do that. That is so true. I am so glad that you said we do create experiences. That's what speakers and our talent today have to bring to our, to our um, audience. We've got to have an experience so they'll remember. And thanks for giving a plug on Schoolhouse Rock, who we happen to represent Squire Rush now, who created that. So, oh, wow. Yeah. And his audience is, you're right. We all go back to those memories, those good things. And you bring us music that we love and maybe haven't heard or remembered in a long time. So that's, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I mean, if, if you even, you know, make it a little more current, Coco Melon. So I've got a two-year-old and they're, they're leaving for an errand. So you may hear her in the background in just a moment, but you know, Coco Melon combines learning with, with music. And so did Sesame Street and Schoolhouse Rock. There's so much power there. And I think that it's easy to turn on your cell phone or to turn on the anything, right? And Netflix even now, and you can watch Brene Brown speak. You can watch, speakers not to take anything away from people who don't use entertainment in the program but like come on it's easy to use entertainment in the program and it creates this experience for attendees that they they leave and they say oh my gosh that was so cool i want to go experience that again and as a meeting planner i think your whole goal is to create an experience that's so good that attendees want to come back again and again and in fact that's what the tip jar culture is all about in the 15 years I spent working in these different piano bars and in concert halls all around the world, our job was to create an experience that audiences wanted to come back to again and again, or at the very least, tell somebody else and get that person to come to. So as a business leader, how do you create an experience doing the work that people want to come back to again and again and again? That's the question that I ask leaders to consider, because I think we've done a really good job of creating a place that people want to come back to. I mean, employees will take the kegerators and they'll take the jeans on Fridays and they'll take the food trucks outside. Like they'll take all the accoutrement, all the accessories that we're calling employee engagement initiatives. But what about the actual experience of doing the work of collaborating, of innovating? Is that an experience that people want to have again and again and again? And when you look at the statistics that 70% of the workforce is disengaged or actively disengaged, the answers are resounding, not really. And so by showing some of the framework, I'd say some of the practices that we used in the world of piano bars to get a crowd of strangers immediately engaged, to actually get them to participate as our free choir. They did most of the singing. To take that material, those principles, 
and show business leaders how that can be implemented in the business world and also sharing case studies of leaders that I've interviewed and research that I've done of organizations that are actually implementing those principles right now. And the results speak for themselves. These are companies who are world leading in what the employees say they've created, the place where employees want to be, place where customers want to come back to. And these are not charities, you know, they're making money. They're very profitable organizations. So it's a lot of fun to be able to bring that to stage and share both my gift and, and, and my uh, passion for music alongside my passion for taking the irk out of work. And that works, it really does. So tell us more about how you created the tip jar culture and what that is going to look like in the future for you and your audiences. Yeah, it was uh, a lot of coffee, a lot of sleepless nights. No, I mean, it, it was a lot of hard work to create it, but it, it really was, as I mentioned, sitting down and thinking about what did we do in the piano bar that created that experience? And I'm not talking about, was it comfortable chairs? Was it drink specials? You know, was it, uh, you know, friendly servers? Although certainly, you know, that that's all a part of a great experience, but how did we get people to engage in the program itself? Because again, you can create comfortable, relaxing spaces with sofas in an office, or you can send all of your employees Keurig coffee makers if they're working from home. Like that's nice, but that has no bearing on the actual work that gets done. How do we actually get the work done in a way that makes us want to do it and experience it again and again and again? Because at the piano bar, the night goes very quickly if the audience is coming up with request slips. If my piano is full of request slips, it's gonna be a really quick and easy night because the audience dictates the pace and the type of music that we perform. If they're not making requests, man, it's, it's, it's kind of like pulling musical teeth. I mean, I know a lot about music, but they know a lot about the experience. And so letting them co-create that experience makes the whole evening more enjoyable. For me as a performer, it goes faster. For them, it's something they wanna do again and again and again. It's like, I keep throwing back to things from the 70s, which might be dating me, but it's, it's like those choose your own adventure books. I mean, those were really exciting for that genre of readers because for the first time ever, you got to decide, does the character go down the left hallway or the right hallway? And so you read that book several times. That's the type of experience that we created the piano bar with the request slips, but there are other elements and that's what informs what we call this tip jar culture. So from stage, I share three principles that audiences can take and implement. And I also share stories of organizations who have taken those principles, those ideas from the piano bar, the idea of a request slip or co-creation is, is one of those principles. So I share stories of businesses who have taken that and implemented it in the real world. Because of course it looks different. You're not gonna have you know a literal tip jar on somebody's desk, although you could. You're not gonna have literal request slips, right? We, we've tried that with the suggestion box and it doesn't always go well. But there are ways to take these principles and implement them in business such that we get that result, right? The result where people want to come back again and again and again. That is amazing because I can see that the principle of work has to be done, right? I mean, we all know the work has to be done. Mm -hmm. So what caused you to believe that everyone should feel fulfilled by the work they do? I know there was a major event that made you get thinking of this. So 
share that with us. Yeah. So in 2015, I was performing uh, at a piano bar here in Philadelphia, in fact. And as I went to start the night, uh, a thing I'd done hundreds of times before, I sat down at the piano, pressed the keys, opened my mouth to sing the first note, and nothing came out. It's actually not exactly true. Something more like is, is what came out. I mean, not beautiful music for sure. There is something amiss. There was something wrong with my vocal cords. And a couple of weeks later, doctors would go on to tell me that I had vocal damage so extensive that I'd never perform professionally again. And I should prepare for the fact that I could lose my speaking voice permanently. They said in about two months, my vocal cords would become permanently paralyzed. And so from that date, I was asked to make a series of choices, of, of changes in my life. And over the next seven years, I would go on to have 15 surgeries to repair and rebuild my vocal cords. And that required a period of silence after each surgery. In some cases, it was two full weeks of absolute silence. In some cases, it was a few days. But in total, I've spent around three and a half months in complete and total silence at this point. And I noticed how I disengaged from the things that I loved when I felt my voice couldn't be heard, couldn't be used, wasn't able to be used in a certain situation. And it made me wonder how I was going to, if I was going to regain my voice, how I was going to use it in the future. And to keep the story short, since we only have 30 minutes, I met some mentors, some guides along the way who helped me see things, helped me shift my perspective, helped me see things differently. And so I don't want to say that we have to feel fulfilled at work, right? I think that would be ideal if we found fulfillment at work. But there's a lot of study that shows, there's a lot of research that shows people who are happy and fulfilled, or I should say happy or and or fulfilled at work are more profitable, are more productive. They take less sick time. They're more creative. They're more innovative. So why not? create an experience at work that people want to participate in that that fills them up right that's what i think of when i think of fulfillment so that people come to work and do something that lights them up inside that gets them excited for me that was going to the piano bar and when that was taken from me i needed to find something else where i could get that fulfillment and also do good i believe that income follows impact. I think there are too many people out there chasing the almighty dollar and giving the rest of us nothing in exchange. They're just trying to take, take, take. I want to create more givers. And I know that when we give and we give value to others, we, we receive value, right? That's just a core belief of mine. So that was the inspiring incident that caused me to create this. Uh, but like I said, it was a lot of sleepless nights and cups of coffee, pots of coffee along the way uh, to actually get to this idea of a tip jar culture. Well, I can't wait because I understand you will have a book coming out, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, more coffee, more sleepless nights, that's for sure. I, you know, with a two-year-old and another on the way, I'm not quite sure what I got myself into, but I am uh, in the process. I've, I've contracted with a publishing company, uh, New Degree Press, and I'm in the process of writing the book. Uh, the working title is The Tip Jar Culture, uh, and I anticipate it's going to be released in early 2024. That will be amazing because like I said, people, you know, can't always get everything. So books are very important. And that's why we have, you know, a remarkable bookcase here because that's 
that's important, but I wanted to let people know that that's coming. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. And we don't, I don't go into the depth of, you know, psychology and behavioral economics on stage that I will in the book, you know, on stage, I'm giving people practical, immediately applicable takeaways and a heck of a lot of fun. But in the book, I wanted to see my dogs agree. It's a lot of fun. I, in the book, I wanted to dive a little deeper though, and, and tell people not just that this works, but why this works. Because I think what I learned in, in music school when I was studying music is that first you learn the rules and then the great composers break all of them, right? And I think we can do a good job of putting these ideas into practice, that's fine. But when your business changes, that idea may not fit. So in the book, I wanna explain what undergirds, the principles that undergird these ideas so that as an individual's business changes or their circumstance changes, they can change their approach with it. So I, my hope is that uh, while the keynote will always be changing, this book will be evergreen. That will be amazing. That That's exactly where we were headed. Now, you've said that organizations that are working and all organizations, it's a hot topic. <laughs> Employee engagement is a hot topic, right? <laughs> we can all agree. They're working on it to do but you're telling us that they're really fighting the symptom mm -hmm. and not the cause. Yeah. So well, we, tell us a little about what you, excuse me, what you see as the cause and how we can do things differently as leaders. Yeah. That, that, I mean, that's a phenomenal observation that it is the symptom. Engagement is a symptom. So is disengagement. Uh, you know, maybe let's take it out of business and into the interpersonal relationship, right? If you're dating someone, and the experience is going poorly, how likely are you to get engaged to that person? I'd say fairly unlikely. Well, maybe not in all cases, but you know, we live and we learn, right? In the work world, it's the same thing. Leaders and businesses have been leading this charge of more engagement, more retention, which from an employee standpoint, especially an employee who's not really enjoying the experience they're having at work every day, feels disingenuous, feels cart before the horse, feels a little selfish. So while we see, or while the world kind of sees this problem right now as an engagement and retention problem, the problem's actually the experience. When we create an experience people want to engage with, the engagement comes organically. It's more deep, it's longer lasting. The retention happens organically and, and in that same conversation, we have to acknowledge, you know, citing a Bureau of Labor and Statistics statistic, most entrants to the workforce over the last few years spend between two and four years with their employer. It's just, it's a statistic. So instead of trying to keep everybody, why not leverage that data? If we know that they're going to leave somewhere between two and four years, why not give them skills and development and tools that let them accelerate? Think of it the way a university thinks about their purpose. I'm sure every university would love an Adam Grant or a Simon Sinek or a Brene Brown, but they're the outliers. Not everyone comes to school and decides, I'd like to stay here and be a professor. No, the value of the school is to equip you and prepare you with skills that let you excel wherever you go next. What if we thought about our employment experience as a postdoctorate degree, as an advanced, as a master's degree, 
the school of hard knocks, if you will. If we were always developing people in such a way that they had more skills than when they came in the door, when those people at the end of their four-year cycle decide to leave, they're going to go to their next job and sing your praises as an employer. And what does that do? That creates a talent funnel for you because there's people at that job that are at the end of their four-year cycle that may be looking for a new place to work. And they're going to talk to that new employee who just came from your job who says, oh my gosh, that organization was great. They invested in me unlike any organization I've ever worked for. I'd go back and work for them again if given the opportunity. And so that person at the new organization now calls you or your recruiting office and they say, hey, I heard you're a great place to be. I'd like to come and work for you. So the goal is to leverage that statistic. We know that some of these people are gonna leave. Instead of wasting our energy on trying to get them to stay, prepare them so that they excel when they go. And we create this fun. I mean, that's why there's a wait list at some schools and there isn't one at others. The schools that help you get where you wanna be, everybody wants to go to that school. What if you thought about your business in that way? Of course, people have to produce value while you're there, right? I mean, students get grades, but can we prepare that cohort of employees that we know are going to, I call them leapers, that we know are going to leap can we prepare them for success after this job such that they become what I like to call a brand ambassador of our work experience? Wow. Different concept, you know, than what we're, you know, have been normally seeing. Great ideas. I can't wait to hear more on that one. <laughs> I'm sure yeah. we'll have people saying, look, look, is this really, can this really work? But I know it can. Yes, I know it can. Now, one more thing before we close, but I've seen you do both virtual as well as in person. And you're a master at the virtual. Thank you. But you also offer another part of entertainment that are event planners and Everyone that's looking for talent that uh, and speakers that will just really wow the crowd because you can offer another experience. Can you tell us about that? Well, if you're talking about virtual, I think you're probably alluding to this virtual piano bar. Um, and that's something that we've done for organizations really since the beginning of the pandemic that created the opportunity because initially buyers said, look, we're good on content, Greg, love you but we're, we're up to here on content. What we really need is something that's gonna let us decompress, just have some fun. And we're kind of sick of the wear your college sweater to the Zoom party or bring your dog to the Zoom party or you know that idea of bring your favorite liquor to the Zoom party. That didn't turn out well at all. HR wasn't happy about that, they said to me. So what could you do? And we came up with this idea of doing an hour or 90 minutes of all request virtual piano bar fun, and it just took off. Um, it was unlike anything folks had experienced. And, and because we've got all the pro audio and video gear here, there's actually a whole other studio on the other side of this camera where we do the virtual piano bars. Um, the best compliment, let's put it this way, that I got was when I did an event for Comcast. And if you're in a different part of the country or don't know who, under a rock and don't know who Comcast is, huge cable TV provider. Uh, and their SVP of technology said, oh, are you in one of our studios? And I thought, well, <laughs> thank you. No, just the back bedroom of my house here in Philadelphia. Uh, but then meeting planners were asking, okay, now that we're going back to in-person, 
how could we implement this, you know, IRL, as the kids say, in real life? We found something phenomenal. What we realized was that a lot of these events have an opening night party or sort of a cocktail hour, you know, to get everybody a welcome reception, if you will, to get everybody socializing before, you know, the, the opening keynote, which is normally where I'm, I'm, I'm placed. What's really cool is we did a one hour piano bar at these cocktail hours. And the feedback that I got the next day in the keynote was so different because the hour of cocktail music and requests, it sort of broke down that barrier. Everybody was familiar with me, at least the folks who were at the piano bar. So when I stepped out on stage, they went, oh my God, it's a piano man. What, what, what's he doing up there? But because we talk about those lessons from the piano bar and then apply them to business, it was really easy to pull from the night before because some of the participants had actually experienced an hour of, of a, a real piano bar. I mean, we do our best to recreate it on stage, but that's an hour of a keynote. So by adding that hour of the piano bar the night before, it created this connection with the audience and really a special experience at the conference uh, that's just been phenomenal to witness. So those are two things that I think we are doing differently that are really knocking it out of the park for our partners in event planning. And that's what we look for at Remarkable. <laughs> that's the remarkable things that we can do. Now, in closing, one last question. What are you going to do today to be remarkable? Well, I am glad you asked, Sue. Uh, when we get done, I will be joining my wife and daughter uh, to go ice skating. Frankie, uh, my daughter, is just a few months past two years old. And me being a, a very uh, passionate hockey player, I couldn't wait to get her out on the ice. Didn't know how it was going to work the first time. So we said, you know what? We'll just go. If it's five minutes in the rink, that's cool. If it's, you know, an hour the whole time, that's great. She loved it. Loved it. But her butt got all wet because we didn't bring snow pants. We just had her in like regular tights. And so we got snow pants now. We feel like we're fully prepared and we're going to take her to public skating in just a little bit. And I'm going to go ice skating with her. So I can't wait. Wow. That's exciting. Yeah. And I know she loves hats too. So she's one of my yes. favorite little per persons. I just love it. I just yeah, love it. Yeah, she has her, her, little, her little helmet with the cat ears and she loves it. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's got to show off. Yeah, she's got to do that. Well, in closing to our audience, we want to ask you the very same question. My challenge to you, and feel free to put it in the chat or send us a comment of what are you going to do today to be remarkable? Now, you've heard some remarkable things here today. Might have made you aware of maybe I just need to go sit and listen and talk and get in mind what 2023 is going to be. But whatever it is, we'd love to hear that because that's what we want to offer you as well. An opportunity for you to let us know how you're going to become remarkable now. Again, Greg, thanks so much for being with us today. This was such fun. You are such, um, and there's information on the screen about how you can book, uh, Greg, for your next event. And remember, he books quickly. <laughs> uh, he really does. And, yeah. and I just want to thank you, Sue, for being such a great partner to work with. I mean, there's lots of bureaus out there, but I, you take such care and time um, in getting you know acquainted with your speakers and, and knowing exactly what we do and who we are and getting to know our family. And it's just, you're, you're a pleasure to work with. So thank you. Well, I appreciate that. And now I have something for you. 
I promised our audience today a surprise. And I'm here to announce our 2022 Speaker of the Year from Remarkable, a Speakers Bureau. And Greg, you are our Speaker of the Year. So, <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> Wow, that's awesome. Thank you so much. Secret, we're having a secret team. Thank you. We did that good. <laughs> I hope you can see it in the camera. I'm getting a little red here. Thank you. <laughs> but anyway, that will go out today and be announced. And it will also, along with this episode, will be rebroadcast and it will be found on YouTube permanently. So in case you want to go back and check anything out uh, about Greg and everything there, but also there'll be an announcement there that you are our speaker of the year. So we are just so proud of you. Thank we you, Sue. So That's so kind. You are great to work with. You are amazing. And so we just thank you for being a part of Remarkable and our Remarkable team. And as you know, the team chose the word for next year as our word of the year is unstoppable. Mm -hmm. So we are, <laughs> we are living it. We are unstoppable. <laughs> That is really great. And we look forward to a great booking year for you. This will be great. It. I love and it. Thank you so much, Sue. Well, you're welcome. You're totally welcome. Now, we hope our audience, you will join us next week, next Friday. We'll start a new year, January 6th. And we will have the remarkable speaker, Tracy Brown. Now, she's the nation's top fraud and lie detection expert as a keynote. She's a best-selling author and she is currently ranked as the 2022 number five in the world body language expert. So you won't want to miss this for your company and for yourself. So again, thank you, Greg, for sharing everything today. And we will see our audience again next Friday. And Happy New Year. Happy New Year, everybody. Yes.